Hi, true crime fans. You're tuning into Coffee, Murder, and Mystery, a true crime podcast where we discuss murder, mystery, and the supernatural. Don't forget to hit subscribe. Hi, true crime fans. I'm Melissa. I'm Jeff. Today is our first of the month maniac murderer episode on Andre Romanovich Chikatilo. If you're not familiar with these episodes, we pulled a card at the end of last month's episode. And at the end of this episode, we will pull another card, which will be next month's episode. This podcast is not for anyone under the age of 18. It will be very graphic. If you have any triggers, this is not for you. And now Jeff's going to go ahead and read that card for you. Andre Chikatilo, the Butcher of Rostov. Age at first kill, 41. Years undiscovered, 13. Number of victims, 52 or more. And he was born October 16, 1936. Andre Chikatilo committed the sexual assault, murder, and mutilation of a minimum of 52 women and children between the years 1978 and 1990 in Russia. He was convicted and sentenced to death and was executed in 1994. And he has a maniac factor of five stars. There was a movie made about this story that you may have seen called Citizen X. It's an old movie. It's interesting. It was kind of tough to follow. I feel like it was more centered on like the doctor involved in finding him, which you talk about later in the story here. But in your story, he doesn't have nearly as big a part as he did in the movie. I feel like in the movie, he was like, it was all about the doctor. I think he really probably did have a bigger part than what I'll say here. I just focus on other things. He, well, it seems like in the true he's life, kind of the hero of the story. No, for sure. But in the true life version of this, he's brought in more towards the end. And in the movie, it's like he's there from like the opening scene, I think. Right. Well, this is so many years condensed as well. So it's true. Well, let's get down to it. Nicknames that Andre earned included the Butcher of Rostov, the Red Ripper, and the Rostov Ripper. I kind of like the Butcher. I don't know. The I Red Ripper sounds like a restaurant. It's fitting. Andre grew up in an era that came shortly after the Ukrainian famine. I really felt that this was relevant to his story. So in case you're not familiar, as I was not familiar, I'm going to tell you a little bit about this famine. The famine is also referred to as Holodomor, which means to kill by starvation. The famine was short-lived but had many casualties, lasting in Soviet Ukraine from 1932 to 1933. Although there is no official body count, it is believed that the famine killed about 10 million people. There are conflicting beliefs about what caused the famine. Some believe that it was genocide and others feel that the famine was created by poor harvests and other natural conditions. Regardless of this, the leaders did reject outside aid for their people. I don't know how you can be like, oh, it was the harvest when people are like actively going around taking food from people. (laughs) Right, But it's the harvest, but give me all your grain. People were so nutrient deficient before their untimely passing that their bodies would bloat and begin to stink. The government force collected food from the people. Stalin's collectors would go door to door equipped with wooden poles to poke into the ground, 
looking for grain and whatnot that people had buried to keep for their families. If you were accused of food hoarding, you were sent to prison. History.com described a story of two boys who had caught a fish and some frogs, and they were caught. The boys were drugged into the village to be beaten and then drug into a field where they were left with their hands tied and mouths gagged to die. Well, it's a good thing Stalin wasn't in charge for the toilet paper shortage of 2020. <sighs> if you'd have seen those people at Costco, you'd have went ballistic. <laughs> people were so hungry that they killed and ate their pets, ate flowers, leaves, bark, roots, and there were reports of cannibalism. People were literally dropping dead in the streets. There are pictures online of this famine showing the number of dead just lying there in the streets while people were just walking around. There were so many bodies that they were just thrown into a pit for disposal. Andre, being born in 1936, was born only a few years after this famine had ended, raised by parents who were very touched by it. Andre's mother told him that he had an older brother named Stephen and that Stephen was only four years old when he was kidnapped by neighbors to be eaten. And when I see this in my research, it's not described as something she told him occasionally. It's described as she told him this constantly. It has not been confirmed if Stephen did or did not exist. Hey, Mom, can I go outside and play? Well... You remember Steven? What happened to him? <laughs> I guess you can go outside, but beware. Right. Like constantly you have to tell him the story? Yeah, it seems a bit morbid, a bit abusive to continuously tell your kid. I wonder what the like like what the reasoning He's is. Like why do you to have to eaten. tell him constantly about it? Maybe it was like in her grief too. Like maybe she was upset. I'm just upset about Stephen and the way he was eaten by the neighbors. <laughs> Don't want to lose you too. Horrible. Hmm. Andre developed an interest in dark stories. Imagine that. Particularly stories where German prisoners were tortured by the Soviets during World War II. Andre is said to have suffered from water on the brain at birth. Hydrocephalus is a condition that occurs when spinal fluid builds in the skull, causing the brain to swell. This can be caused by spinal bifida, an infection in the mother such as measles, or trauma to the baby's head during childbirth. The use of forceps or the vacuum can cause this condition. There is no cure for hydrocephalus, but a surgeon can insert a tube to help relieve the fluid. Some children that have this condition experience vision problems or even seizures. When I looked into this condition, I didn't see anything about it causing urinary or genital issues. But Andre had both, and it's attributed to him being born with the water on the brain. Boy, did he ever have those. I suppose brain swelling probably has a vast number of potential issues that I am personally unaware of. Sounds rough. Andre's urinary tract issues caused him to wet the bed until his early teens, as well as problems maintaining an erection. Andre also had a questionable childhood for many reasons. It is said that his family often didn't have sufficient food. Andre claimed that at times his family would resort to eating grass and leaves. Andre also witnessed the horrors of war. 
Because of the Nazi occupation of Ukraine, he witnessed bombings, fires, and shootings. Andre and his mother would often have to hide in cellars and ditches. Andre was a shy child, and there was a time when his father was captured by German soldiers in World War II. Because his father was captured and eventually set free, his father was known as a coward. Andre was bullied by his peers because of his father's capture. While Andre's father was at war, Andre's sister Tatiana was conceived. Since his father was away at war, it's speculated that his sister may have been a product of rape by a German soldier. Since Andre and his mother shared a bed, it is also speculation that he may have witnessed this rape. Andre and his mother also watched their hut burn to the ground. I mean, that sucks, but I feel like if my hut burned to the ground, I could just start making another hut. Yeah, I really didn't see. I kind of wondered that. Like, did they just live in another hut? I feel like (laughs) this was really just an unfortunate childhood. I feel like a lot of people that were raised at this time, I wouldn't be surprised if they had grown up to be serial killers. (laughs) Because of the huts? I mean, just the overall experience of it. It just sounds awful. Oh, it sounds absolutely horrible. Andre's first sexual experience was at the age of 15. He overpowered an 11-year-old girl. Ooh, tough guy. She struggled, which made Andre ejaculate. Hmm. He was ridiculed by his peers for this. This was Andre's first indication that he was a sadomasochist. He needed to be inflicting pain in order to maintain an erection. Andre had his first serious relationship in 1955, but after 18 months of Andre not being able to perform sexually, she broke his heart. That's a long time to hold out. Maybe she really liked him for the most part. I mean, she had to have. 18 months of wet noodle. Andre seemed to be very smart and did well in school. He was an avid reader and appointed to editor of the school newspaper at 14. He was also chairman of the Pupils Communist Party Committee at age 16. Andre would say later that he felt learning was difficult for him because he suffered from migraines. His teachers, on the other hand, felt that he was very bright. I read in some accounts that he graduated the top of his class, But I also read that he was the only one from his collective farm area to graduate. Wait a minute. So (laughs) he's the top of the class. He's the only class. Yeah. The only one. So was he valedictorian and (laughs) salutatorian? I think so. (laughs) Either way, he failed the college entrance exam and ended up doing a few years national service where he was said to have served well. Andre returned home to his parents and attempted another relationship with another woman, but still could not perform. She told a girlfriend seeking advice on how to arouse him. But the girlfriend told her friends, and they told their friends, and people started talking. And in 1993 interview, Andre stated, Girls were going behind my back, whispering that I was impotent. I was so ashamed. I tried to hang myself. My mother and some young neighbors pulled me off the noose. Well, I thought no one would want such a shamed man, so I had to run away from there, run away from my homeland. Andre was able to further his education at a trade school, and he became a telephone engineer while living in a town outside of Rostov. His younger sister lived with him for a period of about six months, 
and set Andrea up with an eligible girl that she knew. Feodosia. Feodosia. Jeff's laughing because I can't pronounce Russian <laughs> names. Feodosia and Andre would marry, but Andre could not keep an erection. Feodosia, knowing the marriage was not a marriage of love, but one of convenience, simply thought that her husband wasn't attracted to her. In order to get her pregnant, Andre would masturbate onto her stomach and they would scoop up the semen and place it inside her manually with their fingers. That's so romantic. And it worked. She was able to conceive two children this way. They were generally thought of as a normal family until Andre changed careers in 1971, becoming a school teacher. Andre could not keep order in his classroom. He was thought of as a skilled teacher, but the kids just wouldn't behave. The students would ridicule him. Andre just lived a life of taunting. Andre's first assaults were on his students. The first was while swimming. He swam up to a girl and started fondling her. As she struggled to get away, he ejaculated. Oh boy, that's a... That's a story a for the records moment. right there. <laughs> wow. His second was when he locked a girl in his classroom and spanked her hard until he ejaculated. He would go into the girls' dorms to watch them undress. Other teachers also witnessed and reported Andre touching himself inappropriately in front of students. And no one seemed to do anything for a while. But after numerous complaints, they did tell Andre to resign or be fired. And so he did. Casually moving from school to school until 1981, when too many complaints had mounted against him and he was forced into another career path. He yeah, you'd think like today you'd be forced into prison for right. something like that. Even like part of that. Like that's right. crazy. He found employment at a factory purchasing materials. Andre's first victim was, my apologies if I butcher this, Yelena Zakatnova. Andre had rented a house in secret. He lured her there. He tried to rape her, but couldn't maintain his erection. And so he flew into a murderous rage, stabbing her, ejaculating as he did. She was only nine years old, someone's baby. People had saw him with her, and there were blood spots in the snow of his secret rental. And she was dumped in a river at the end of the street. But none of that mattered because Andre's wife gave him an airtight alibi. I'm sorry, but if my husband had a secret rental, he wouldn't have to even do anything else. I would be so mad. Instead, a 25-year-old man who had been previously convicted of rape ended up confessing to the murder. This man's wife gave him an alibi as well, but since he had been previously convicted of rape, police were certain that it was him. They threatened to make his wife an accomplice, and she recanted her alibi. 25-year-old Alexander Kravchenko was executed by firing squad for this crime of which he was innocent. Andre described his want to relive his first murder as overwhelming. He had come to a point where he could only finish sexually during murder. But despite his overwhelming urge, he did try to control himself for a time. 
like an alcoholic trying to make it home from work without stopping at the bar. Andre was trying to make it home every night without committing murder. When Andre lost his self-control, he became a true monster. Andre didn't just kill people. He brutally killed people. Andre's torture was so out of control and animalistic that if he wasn't prepared with a knife, he would simply rip out chunks of flesh or bite off their nipples, mutilate them with his teeth. Andre's game was to approach children, not always children, but mostly children, at bus or train stations. He would look for the ones he thought no one would notice, children that he thought would be enticed by a bit of vodka in the woods. He would take them there and stab them to death. This was usually accompanied by a violent beating and strangulation. He had a thing with the eyes of his victims. He would mutilate them too, usually gouging them out. He felt he couldn't leave them intact because his image would remain in their eyes after death. Andre killed both adults and children. The children that he killed were both male and female. It wasn't uncommon for Andre to cut off their genitals or to rip open their bellies and remove the uterus. And I hope this isn't true, but it seems that he ate the uterus of his victims. Sweet Jesus, that's a mouthful. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing, not just the uterus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, like the biting of people. Like, I have no knife. It's, I must bite you to death. This guy, I just, I was shocked. Well, that is shocking. I think people generally attribute the fact that Andre was able to elude police for so long to Soviet pride. They didn't believe there could be a serial killer among them. They thought serial killers were strictly a Western thing. But when I'm looking into this story, it seems like more than that to me. It seems like after a handful of victims, they took finding Andre very seriously. But Andre had a condition that eluded authorities. It's rare, but Andre was a non-secretor. This means that when his blood type would be tested with an actual blood sample, it would show up as blood type A. Andre had blood type A. But when any other fluid from his body was tested, it would show blood type AB. Modern DNA testing does not allow for this failure. It can differentiate when it comes to non-secretors. But when Andre was killing, it could not, leading police to search for a killer with a blood type of AB. Uh, that's exceptionally lucky for someone that's a murderer. Isn't it? <laughs> like, I mean... To throw people off like that, or police off like that. Right. I mean, what what were in the stars that day when he was born, where they were like, this guy is going to have everything Everything it takes to make a murderer, including the blood to elude them. Yeah, I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, I also didn't know ejaculating while murdering was a thing. <laughs> I've just learned all kinds it of should things. Not, it should not be a thing. You know, the Soviet pride thing, though, like that, that's what they really touched on that in the movie. Because um, the guy brought the information to him was like, I think we have a serial killer. And they're like, no. We don't have serial killers, kind of an, an attitude towards it. And I did get that from the movie, and I got that in my research as well, but I really think that 
I think that they were really looking for him, though. I mean, they were really looking for the murderer, whether they thought he was a serial killer or not. You know, they were looking for whomever had killed these victims. Yeah, but they were just looking for the wrong but, I mean, blood type. I feel like that's a huge thing. I feel like that could happen to any officer in the 70s, 80s, 90s, early 90s. What? Could happen? You, you know, being thrown off by a blood type like this. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no way to... They wouldn't. They, obviously, they didn't have the technology, so... Yeah, I mean, what could they do? It was 1983 when they were able to link some of the victims to the same killer. It was because of the unusual similarities. You know, the eyes, the uterus. They appointed an entire team as soon as they had four connected victims. The team was made up of 10 investigators and would be called Operation Forest Path. These investigators were dedicated to solving these four linked cases. Victor Burakov would end up leading this team. It was when they found and examined a fifth child's body that he became convinced that they had a serial killer on their hands. Andre stopped killing for a few years at this point, laying low maybe, but he would lose control again and the bodies would start rolling in. There was little media coverage, but people were talking and speculating. The rumors of what was happening went as far as to blame werewolves on the loose. Investigators speculated satanic cults or people harvesting organs. I think I definitely would have pushed the werewolf agenda in that time. Maybe start selling silver bullets. I wouldn't. <laughs> Maybe some werewolf t-shirts, some swag, some killing werewolf t-shirts with blood splatters on them. I bet people would have grabbed those up. <laughs> right. Investigators looked into all the known sex offenders, mentally ill persons, and pedophiles. But since Andre wasn't known to be in one of these groups, it was in vain. The brutal interrogation process of police led to multiple false confessions. But police could tell that none were the actual killer. It said that as many as a thousand other crimes were solved as they weeded through their suspect pool. That's pretty amazing. I do wonder if that had something to do with the intensive interrogation well, process. For sure, like, for sure. I wonder if they were just like confessing to other things. Yeah, because they don't, like, I assume when you're being interrogated, because I never have been, you don't really know Russia. why you're there, right? You don't, you're not 100% sure why you're there or what you're being interrogated about. So you just start letting it all loose. <laughs> That's crazy. Though. I mean, so some good came out of it then, right? As long as they were true confessions. <laughs> Well, it says a thousand other crimes were solved. That had to be true. In 1984, 15 more victims were found. Police started surveillance efforts in all bus and train stations. Andre was arrested in 1984 for suspicious activity at one of these stations. But since his blood type didn't match, he wasn't identified as the killer. He did spend three months in prison on a few small unspecified charges. In 1985, Andre started working for a train company as a traveling buyer. How perfect. Train station killer working at a train right. station. I finally found my dream job. He did actually try to maintain some control again at this time, but did end up killing two women that year. Oh, well, he really cut down from the 15. Yeah. <laughs> they turned to Alexander Bukanovsky for help. He was a psychiatrist and was able to give them a better profile of the killer. And in my opinion, he did a great job. 
Alex profiled him as a necrosadist, meaning a person who can only achieve sexual gratification by hurting or killing another person. He also let them know that they were looking for someone older than they had previously thought. Alex even interviewed another serial killer and necrophile. Anatoly Slivko. In order to get a better killer profile. Anatoly was to be executed for the murder of seven teenage boys. Andre must have started fearing that he would get caught because he took another break from killing until 1988. And instead of his normal of luring his victims from train and bus stations, he changed his methods a bit, probably trying to evade capture as the police surveillance to these areas. He was still finding his victims in public, but at more random places that police were not stationed, killing 19 victims over the next two years mostly young boys at this point. Police were really cracking down. Every patrol was on the lookout for any suspicious activity. And on November 6, 1990, just as Andre had killed his last victim, a patrol picked him up for just that suspicious activity. But instead of arresting Andre, police took his information and upon connecting it with his prior arrest in 1984, placed him under surveillance. Police didn't catch Andre actually committing any killings, but they did note that he had more suspicious behavior, and they placed him under arrest on November 20th. Andre wouldn't tell them anything until they put the psychologist who had created the profile, Alex, on the scene. He flattered Andre, letting him know that he wanted to explore his mind from a scientific perspective And Andre told him everything. Police had only suspected 36 victims, but Andre confessed to 56. 53 ended up being verified. You know, that part's pretty interesting about how how they get him to actually start talking about it, especially when they're really tight-lipped. Like, I was just watching that Ted Bundy thing where they were talking about how he wouldn't say anything until they started getting him to talk about the killer in third person. And then he just like, pfft, floodgates open. Psychologists and actors like wrapped into one. Right. That's crazy. Like, so he's like, oh, well, I'm really impressed by you. Oh, well, let me tell you more. <laughs> right. During Andre's trial, they kept him in an iron cage to keep him away from the numerous family members in the trial room. I can only imagine this was for Andre's own safety. The media dubbed him the maniac due to his odd demeanor during trial. Okay, so not that he was innocent or ever had a chance of being innocent, but if you're in trial, if you're on trial in a cage, (laughs) it's not looking good (laughs) at that point. The media dubbed him the maniac due to his odd demeanor during trial. It is said that one minute he was calm and collected, and the next he would go from singing to speaking gibberish. At one point, going as far as to pull down his pants and wave his man bits at the crowd. On October 5th, 1992, Andre was found guilty on 52 counts of murder, each one resulting in a death penalty. He tried to appeal using claims that he wasn't fit to stand trial, but the court wouldn't have it. They executed Andre by a single gunshot to the back of the head 16 months later. 
Psychologist Alexander would go on to become a well-respected expert on sexual disorders and serial killers. What a way to be executed. Yeah, they don't mess around. I mean, I suppose it was quick, painless, which it may have, it may, they maybe they should have drug it out. <laughs> I'm just, I mean, it's better than being on death row for like 23 years and, you know, the, the state supporting him. Right. I just mean, you know, the actual death. Just well, what are they supposed to do? I mean, like tear his so arms awful. off? And <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think the point is to just get this guy out of out of the circulation. And I got that. But, you know, just I've been researching historic executions. And, you know, like when people were like drawn and quartered. Oh, right. They were like hung a little bit first. Like they were hung until like they were almost dead. And they would like behead them. Yeah, no, were, he, like, definitely, he definitely would have. And uh, they would just like pull them apart with the horses. Yeah, he could have been drawn and quartered. That would have yeah, been. Yeah, I feel like that was much more fitting for him. Yeah, yeah, just a single gunshot to the head. That you know, they were probably just like, "Can we just get rid of this guy already?" <laughs> Can we just were end probably this? Probably drawn and quartered back in the day for selling alcohol to Indians, but he <laughs> he got to die by single right. gunshot wound to the back of the head. Right. At least drowned him or something, or maybe I don't know. Set him on fire. Yeah, like the, all the innocent witches that died by fire, <laughs> and this burn guy him, burn him at the single stake. gunshot to the back of the head. But he's gone. He is that man. 1994. Wow. And I would never condone suicide, except for this one time. If he would have done that, so many more people would have survived. Thanks a lot, neighborhood kids. <laughs> right. <laughs> Pulling him off. All the- those heroes. <laughs> right. So now we have come to the time in our podcast where we are going to pull another card for next month's first of the month Maniac Murderer podcast. Jeff has pulled the card and he's going to go ahead and read it for you. Herman Mudgett, age at first kill, 27, years undiscovered, 6, number of victims, and this is an odd one, between 27 and possibly over 200. And then 6 years. That's a lot of people. Born uh, May 16th, 1861, as a maniac factor of 4 stars, uh, Herman Mudgett opened a hotel in Chicago, which he had designed and built for himself, specifically with murder in mind. While he confessed to 27 murders, his body count actually could be as high as 200. Sounds interesting. Should be. And as always, I will put the Amazon link to purchase the cards in our show notes. (sighs) Well, that concludes today's episode. Thank you very much for listening. If you liked our podcast, please don't forget to hit subscribe or follow. And please give us a five-star rating. Jeff thinks that you should rate the podcast however you want to rate it. So if you want to give your us heart. four stars, that's okay too. Please don't give us three. It's just you're begging for the fives. I am. <laughs> I need it. it. It helps. Of course it helps, but we want people to be honest. Partially honest. No, just five. Just do five. It'll make Melissa happy. You can find us on Twitter at coffee murder underscore. We're on Instagram. You can follow us on Facebook. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or contributions, you can email us at coffeemurdermystery at gmail.com. You can also go check out our brand new website at www.coffeemurderandmystery. And you can join our Patreon if you want to hear our series on historical beheadings. Stay safe, everyone. Evil people are everywhere. Tell somebody you love them.
Bye. Bye-bye. The information provided in this podcast is solely of our opinion and based upon research that we have conducted via the internet. If you feel that we have represented something inaccurately or unfairly, then you can go tell it to your diary. Or you can send us an email at coffeemurdermystery at gmail.com. Thanks for your support.